Are you loving the content of our podcast, Weight Inclusive Innovators, and want to support our work for free? There are three things you can do right now to support the pod. Number one, leave us a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews we have, the more people that see our work. Number two, follow our work on Instagram. You can find us at Weight Inclusive Innovators. Number three, tell a friend about our show. Send them episodes you think would be helpful for them with where they're at in their weight inclusive business or that they'll enjoy listening to. Welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators Podcast. My name's Hannah Turnbull. And I'm Morgan Sinclair. We're two non-diet dietitians, entrepreneurs, and Enneagram 7s here to talk shop about the business side of things. From managing a team of clinicians to building a cohesive brand to figuring out how the heck to pay yourself, we get deep down in it talking about what it actually takes to start, run, and grow your weight-inclusive business. The good and the messy. We know your degree didn't include any business classes, at least not any applicable to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. This is why we are on a mission to bring business education to other weight-inclusive clinicians. Say sayonara to all the hours spent on Google and hello to information that is actually relevant. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everybody. Hannah here, your group practice in network insurance, providing leadership bestie. I am doing a solo episode today. Morgan is living her best life in Italy on the eating expedition trip, the very first international trip. And if you haven't been following along, you're going to want to and you're going to feel some FOMO. So we'll link it in the show notes, but back to our conversation for today, I am going to talk to you about all things group practice. My favorite thing in the world to talk about. I'm really hoping that number one, there are group practice owners here listening and feeling seen and nodding their head along with this episode and maybe learning a new nugget or two. And number two, I'm hoping that If you're someone in private practice, full caseload, wondering what your next step is, this episode can be informative and helpful for you if pursuing group practice and hiring your first employee is an option, or if you decide a different trajectory for yourself. My job here is not to convince you to have a group practice. I think a lot of people want to, and I think a lot of people should on themselves around it. And then I think there's people who are stoked on the idea and would like to step into that leadership role. So there's so many different situations that I'm hoping you'll think about for yourself, but I really want to tell you about my journey, the things I think you should consider before diving into a group and some steps to get you going. If you've listened to my business episode before, or my entrepreneurship journey episode, I think it's number three or four or five. We'll link it in the show notes. I talk about kind of the short story of going from solo to group, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more today. So to give you the whole picture, I started my private practice in 2018 fully, like face dived in. I had a couple clients in 2017, but when I officially moved to Denver in May of 2018, that's when I really started to hammer down and get my practice built while I was scooping ice cream at the ice cream shop, of course. And so I kind of like to name 2018 as the year of private practice for me, even though technically I started a little bit earlier, but just getting that traction and really building something felt important. So started in May of 2018, got my first office space. I was in a location with a few other therapists, which was an amazing experience. I rented an office that I shared with another 
colleague who's a friend of mine now, shout out to Julia. And then the next year I got my own office and Julia moved next door to me. And then finally I jumped ship and I got my own suite, but I share all that to say, I think group practice can feel daunting one for people and you have to take things in bite-sized pieces and have a trajectory. It's not just, okay, sweet. I'm ready to jump into my own practice where I am the leader and I'm hiring employees. So I'm just going to go ahead and get a suite before I even hire somebody. That would be super duper high pressure and stressful because the jump from one office to seven, if you're me, is quite a difference in expense. I'm a little off track here. So I'm going to bring it back and say, when I got my first office space, it was just me two and a half days a week seeing clients and took me about a year to build up to a full caseload where I was busting at the seams. I think at that point, sometimes I would see 27 to 30 clients a week, which I 10 out of 10 do not recommend. I don't know how I sustained that for a bit. But when I hit that point, I started to think, and maybe some of it was I was seeing a lot of clients and wanted a little diversity in my work, or maybe it was just always going to be my trajectory, but I thought it would be really cool to hire somebody. And so I put some feelers out. I did hire somebody. I actually didn't post a job. I kind of just asked them if they wanted to join and they luckily said yes. And I hired my first employee. From there, we hired people quarterly. And so I started hiring before the pandemic happened, actually. My second hire was right before, it was in January, 2020. And then everybody else who has been on my team started in the middle of a freaking pandemic. What happened for me at my practice is I pretty much hired somebody quarterly for the past couple of years. And as it naturally happens, a few people have left my practice and we continue to grow. It was about when I had four or five employees, when I realized I needed some help in leadership, I asked my right-hand clinician at the practice, Martha, if she would be interested in helping me with some supervision. I was feeling like I was drowning. I was feeling a little bit lonely being the leader and she stepped into that role and rocked it out. So I can't even express the importance and the helpfulness of having somebody in leadership with you. And it kind of takes having a chunk of people at your practice to be able to lead from a logistical standpoint and also from a financial standpoint to be able to pay somebody to help you out in leadership. From there, we continued to hire a few people. And recently we promoted another clinician at my practice into leadership and supervision as well to run our family sector. To date, we have nine dietitians. I'm the director. We have two people in leadership and then we have six clinicians. And our ultimate goal is to have 13 of us total, which is me being the director, two people in leadership, which we have, and then five dietitians under each supervisor. That feels like an excellent number and situation for me. Counting our office space, we have seven offices. So 13-ish people makes sense because we're doing a hybrid model. And also it's really important to me that we keep a family feel. And so with our Nourish Colorado family, everybody's here in Colorado. Everybody comes in at least one day a week. And so we all feel interconnected. I offer that perspective, one, to just share a little bit about 
the brief, brief stories of how I grew my group, where we're going on a logistical level, and where we're at right now. What I want you to think about before you consider expanding, I know it sounds like, oh, it's easy. Like I described exactly what we're doing and what we're building. This is after four years of being in it and figuring out what does not work and exploring different whys of why I'm doing what I'm doing and, you know, challenging different mindsets of who am I to do this? And like, what do people think of me? What I want you to think about private practice person or fellow group leader, or someone who's just curious about the concept of group practice. What is your why? This is where we always have to start with any decision-making because our why is often rooted in our values, which when we're thinking about decisions, values are the things that should, and I don't mean to shit on us, but they're the thing that lead us in a way that feel good. So what is the why of wanting to grow a group? Are you wanting to provide clinicians with different backgrounds and different experiences and different identities? because you know there's different folks in the world who would benefit from that. Awesome, love that. Are you wanting to create a space for other people to work and do the work that they love? Also love that. Are you wanting to diversify your role, step into leadership, guide the team? Perfect, beautiful. It's really important to think through all of these things because if your why is that you wanna make more money, sure there's potential there and that will burn you out. It's not enough to keep the thing going. You will quickly find that. Group practice is hard and it should be. I mean, you're responsible for so many more people and clients and navigating different situations that you didn't even know could exist. That is like my summary of group practice. Another why that's not really helpful is a should of like, okay, this is the trajectory. I started my practice by myself. I had a few clients. All of a sudden I hit full-time and then, oh my gosh, the referrals are keep coming in. Like I should hire somebody to take them. It's not a bad reason. However, you have to understand what comes with that. It's not a matter of, let me get this person onboarded and let them go on their own. There are some models where you can do that, but I feel like if you are an eating disorder clinician or in the weight inclusive space, you're probably wanting to supervise this person. And if that's the case, it should be an employee model, which I'll talk about later. Another question I would have you reflect on is what is your goal here? I want you to think about your business goals and your personal goals. Do you have a business goal of hitting a certain number of clinicians, having a certain size suite, um, making a certain amount of revenue? What is your vision on the business side? Because that piece will come into consideration when you think about how big you want to grow and what all you can offer to your community. And there's also on the personal side of, are you looking for more time? I'll be honest, that probably won't come with the first few years of group practice. It, it feels like you're working more than you ever had, and that's okay. And it's a commitment. And that's part of building that solid foundation. But that could be a future goal of removing yourself from the practice a bit as you build things and get a good foundation and an awesome team who are in their different roles that they love you could pull yourself out and have a little bit more time for things or time to rest, time to pursue other endeavors. You want to build a podcast or a different business, not talking about me at all. Great. 
it's important for you to be clear because these two things, your business goals and your personal goals kind of tie back into your why. The next question I have people think about, if you are like, I'm ready, I know my why it's a great reason that feels in alignment with my values. I have a few vague personal and business goals. Cause I just quite don't know what that's going to look like yet, which I want to normalize. It's really hard to have your big picture goal without even being in it yet. I didn't realize I wanted to have 13 dietitians until probably about a year ago when I had a grasp on my business and the numbers and the team feel, then I was able to come to that solution. But what you could come to right now is I want to have a small group practice with a few other colleagues who are really stoked on doing the work. I'd love to provide them supervision. And once we get that all situated, I'd love to build out a course or something like that. A big question when you decide that, yes, you are going to move forward with group practice is hiring. And the number one question that I get asked is, should I do contractors or should I do employees? And this question is incredibly important for the foundation of your business. One, you have to check your state law. Some states, you cannot have contractors in this kind of role, and it needs to be employee model. Number two, think about what you're building here. Are you, so when you think about contractors, this should be somebody with their own business, somebody who is doing things on their own, no help from you, and you are sending them referrals and doing some marketing for them. And you can list them on your website as an independent contractor. That is what a true contractor is supposed to look like. It's short-term. It should a lot of the time be less than a year. And then eventually this person's going to go out on their own. And so this might feel really good for somebody who's brand new to their private practice and just wants a little bit of support. However, with the nature of our work and supervision, if you are providing supervision at all or advising patient care, it should be an employee model. This is not my rule. It is based on the IRS definition of an employee and contractor. I think a lot of people are afraid of employees because of the commitment, the commitment to providing for someone, the commitment to potentially having to figure out benefits, the commitment of being responsible for them. And these are all things that I challenge you to think about when considering group practice, because if you don't want that responsibility, I don't know that group practice is for you right now. Part of being a leader and building a group is being there for people and showing up for people and being the sounding board and their North star. And so contractor model does not make sense to me. It never has. And a lot of people do it in our space and there's no shade over here for that. But if you're wanting to build family feel with a tight company culture and wanting to give your team everything you can highly recommend the employee model. Are you going to hire clinicians that are your type of clinician, whether you're a dietitian or a therapist or a PT or a doctor, are you wanting to build a group practice with just your clinical type, or are you wanting to have a wellness center or an IOP? There's so many opportunities. And with that too, You do want to check in with your state law around if you even can hire other clinicians, depending on a hierarchy. So for example, sometimes dietitians can't hire therapists because a therapist is seen as a more hierarchically, if that's even the word, that their degree is quote unquote higher than yours. So you can't supervise them. It's different state to state. So again, got to look into it, but that is one piece to think about. 
Are you building a whole team or are you building a certain kind of clinician practice? Another important question I want you to think about is, are you ready to lead? Are you ready to show up for your team? Are you ready to help them troubleshoot issues that come up with clients or interactions or counter-transference? In a leadership role, there's no avoiding being a supervisor to the work. And so are you ready to put on that hat as well? Are you ready to guide people on clinical cases and keep their patients safe and be a teacher and a mentor to your team in a lot of different ways? Not only is it the clinical work, but you're also teaching them how to be in private practice because it's a whole different world when outpatient care, you know, clients aren't required to stay with you and not that they are at treatment either, but you have to think about helping your team be dynamic and proactive and assertive and have boundaries. All of those are skills that need to be learned in order to be successful in a group practice or even as a clinician. My last question for you to think about if you are considering group practice is, are you ready to be uncomfortable? I have this theory that being a group practice leader is a perpetual state of discomfort. And I say this to my business coaching clients all the time when they're going through something, or I see them kind of spinning. It is unavoidable. There's no comfort here. This is stretch. This is growth. This is a total undertaking. And so I want you to think about the discomfort that comes with making a change from solo to group. Are you ready to do that? I want to give you a few steps to get started. I want you to first assess the current situation you're in. If there's any issues in your systems or things that aren't working well or any hiccups, that is only going to escalate a tenfold before you hire somebody. And as you hire people, it is going to get far worse because what tends to happen is when you start onboarding somebody, you hire somebody, they're awesome, ready to get them going. That's taking away the time that you would spend in the inefficiency of the problem and not even addressing the problem. So that problem is just going to escalate in your clinical experience. And then you add another factor, a provider into the mix, and that's going to escalate the problem even more. So every time you hire somebody, that problem is only going to get more congested and worse. So as much as you can troubleshooting and reducing the amount of inefficiencies in your practice is going to set you up for success. The next thing I would have you do is look at your schedule. How do you feel about your schedule? Are you seeing 30 clients a week? Because if you are, we're going to need to cut that in half if you can, if you want a general rule of thumb. And if you can tolerate it again, sometimes people will whittle themselves down slowly, which I absolutely understand, but really a group practice owner cannot see a full caseload and PS seeing 30 clients a week is way more than a full caseload. At my practice, we see 22 to 24 clients a week. And that 24 is still pushing it sometimes. So we check in with our team, see how they're feeling, support them how we can, but you cannot be seeing that many clients when you're trying to hire and onboard and supervise somebody else. So assess your schedule. Are you seeing 15 clients, but you're seeing three a day and you're noticing that you can't get into the brain space that you need to, in order to build your group practice. I totally get that. I'm a huge fan of time blocking and I only see clients on Thursdays at this point in time. And I'm even trying to condense it more into the afternoon on Thursdays because what I used to do, and this is just a natural progression over time, building your group practice is I would see people five days a week. And then I reduced it to four and then I had it at three 
And then I realized if I'm ever seeing even one client a day, it takes me out of the mindset of business, which is understandable, right? When you go into a clinician mode, you are being that therapeutic support, which is amazing and wonderful and it drains energy. And so a lot of the time, what people will do is even if they have a handful of clients on a day, they're already drained. It's really hard for them to get things done in their business. And then they get caught up in the busy work of the business, feeling productive, but not actually making any traction. This is something I do with my business coaching clients. I have them assess their schedule, see how they feel about it, see how they can condense the client work and reduce it down to manageable time blocks to where they can block off other time for hiring and onboarding and business management and growth and visionary work. That stuff is important. And I think a mindset shift that really has to happen is, or people really get stuck in is, well, when I see clients that direct one-to-one work pays my bills and yes, absolutely. And there has to be a period of time where you trust taking that visionary time to make a plan and execute will pay off later on. The next thing I would have you think about is make a vision. So whether it makes sense to you to think about the next three months, six months, or a year, what are you hoping to build? How many people are you hoping to hire? Are you going to do virtual? Are you going to do in-person? Are you going to do a hybrid? Are you wanting to build an entirely virtual team across the U.S.? Are you wanting to hire people only in your state? Are you wanting to do employees and build a long-term relationship and clinic with them? Or are you wanting to have contractors and set them free into the world in their own private practice and train them to do that? Write it out. Make yourself a timeline, three months, six months, a year, and where you want to be. I know that can be challenging at times because it's like, oh, I haven't done this. I don't know what's realistic to look at in a year or what to build. But if you can start things broadly, you will tweak them along the way. But having some kind of path will be helpful for you. The next thing I would decide is, are you going to do the employee model or the contractor model and being very intentional about it? I know I described the differences before, but I want this decision to really sink in because what I see happen so often is people will start in the contractor model and be like, oh fuck, I am treating my team like employees. I need to switch. And then because there's a misunderstanding between employee and contractors, employee People working for you will get upset about, well, I thought this is what we were doing. Change is hard for everybody. And so that's why I like to err on the side and really have intense conversations about employees versus contractors. And finally, I would think about how are you going to take care of yourself as a group practice owner? How are you going to set boundaries where you need to, to be able to focus on the business? How are you going to work to reduce your caseload and know that that discomfort will pay off. How will you support yourself as a group practice owner? What leadership books can you get? Can you get a business mentor or a business coach? Can you join a mastermind or group coaching program? What do you need in order to help yourself be successful? I felt very intimidated by recording this episode because there's so much to cover and there were so many different paths I wanted to go down with you around group practice. But I decided to keep it broad because I would record a 40-hour podcast if I didn't. But what I want to tell you now is my favorite things about being a group practice owner. The reason why I do it, the reason I love it. Number one, 
My team is fucking awesome. I cannot believe that I found eight other passionate, incredible, smart, fierce clinicians to join my team. I truly mean that when you find the right people, it makes being a group practice owner, like the shit it is. That's all you could ask for as a group practice owner, that clinicians are working for you and enjoying it and connected and you laugh together, cry together. We had this joke in our team meeting this week that everybody has cried to our supervisor, Martha, (laughs) including me, which we all kind of trauma laughed at, but that is the kind of family feel that group practice just makes you proud of what you're building and just so interconnected as humans. My next favorite thing is the diversity in work I get to do. My week is all over the place in the best way and also in a very chaotic way, but building a group practice has allowed me to start this podcast with Morgan and it's allowed me to build a business coaching firm and it's allowed me to be a supervisor and a business owner and so many different things that I never could even imagine would come up. I get to be a provider, right? And and when I say provider, I mean, in a way of like, I provide for my team, you know, they take a paycheck home from my business. They get benefits through me. They get support from me. There's so many things they get opportunities and being the group practice owner allows you to be the one directing that. And my third and final thing I love about being a group practice owner is just doing something that a lot of people won't do and don't want to do. And that's okay. There's so much kudos to people who are like, you know what, after listening to this episode or after thinking about group practice, I decide that's not for me. I'm going to be solo and maybe pursue some other things in the future. Beautiful, wonderful. But the fact that this is an option and a thing that people get to do and they get to step into leadership and be brave, there is no other experience that can replicate that. And so that's honestly, probably my favorite thing is my team trusts me to lead them. I am a leader in the eating disorder space and in the business space. And I don't take that for granted. I would love to hear from you. If you're listening to this episode, what are your thoughts on group practice? Are you straddling the line of wanting to build a group or trying to stay solo? Were there any nuggets of wisdom you got from this episode or anything you want to challenge me on, you can totally send me an email. It'll be in the show notes and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the weight inclusive innovators pod. If you like what you hear, subscribe to our podcast to add us to your queue every week, please leave us a rating and review and share with a friend to help us reach more weight inclusive business owners who could use support and pep talks. Bye.